This is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. First of all, I need to correct something that I said on Thursday. It was wrong. So if you listened to that service or, or you were here, Jesus died before the thief on the cross, and, and I got that switched around. We were talking about Jesus descending into the lower parts of the earth. So if you want to hear me make a mistake, go back and listen to the audio or to the stream. And if you don't care, then that's what it is. But um, it's true. They, as Jesus was, was there on the cross, the soldiers um, showed up because they were going to break the legs of, of all those who were being crucified. And um, Jesus was, was already dead at that time. So the thief on the cross wasn't. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We've come this far. Let's read all the way to verse 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. I speak of the body of Christ, but this is also true of your physical body. When the body is working effectively, did you notice that phrase in the text? When the body is working effectively, we don't always take the time to figure out why it's working effectively. When it's working right, when it's working how it should, we sort of take it for granted. We don't always get in there and figure out why things are going right. But how about when things aren't going well with the body? That's when we start searching for answers, isn't it? That's when we start asking, what's going on? Here we have the answers in the word of God. This passage explains the effective working of the body of Christ. But it also explains what it would be like if the church were to be ineffective in its work, doesn't it? So we're calling this the body working effectively. That's the title. And if you're keeping track of the points that I attempt to make, they'll all start with the body working effectively. And then we'll finish that off with something from the Bible that shows us what is the church like when it's working the way that it should work. I chose to put it in the positive context, but you could also put it in the negative context, couldn't you? You could say, the body working ineffectively. Because the truth is, is that a lot of the time, we're not working that effectively. We're working, but we're not working according to what the word of God says. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ, bought with the blood of Jesus. Yet we need to come back to the why and see why we're effectively working or we're, why we're not effectively working. So in this portion of scripture, very rich we're going to be commended, but we're also going to be corrected. There's going to be things, and we're going to look down to the page and say, yes, I should continue 
doing that as a part of the body of Christ, but then we'll also find things that we should change in our lives. This is exactly what the Bible means when it speaks of equipping the saints. Does it not mean to set the joint back in its right place? That's what it means to equip. So as we go through the Bible together, it'll set those joints that are out of whack back in the right place. We're a body that needs that. Amen? Point number one, the body works effectively with each operating their own gift. The body works effectively. You don't have to remember or write that part every time. With each operating their own gift. There are four gifts listed here. This is not an exhaustive list of gifts. I hope that in your study of Ephesians, as you study along, you look at other books of the Bible where there are many, many gifts listed, a plurality of gifts given to us as far as what maybe the Lord has gifted you to do in the body of Christ. They're called the gifts of the Spirit. But look at these four gifts in verse 11. These four gifts are centered on the Word of God, aren't they? The apostles wrote the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. And this book tells us that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So is not apostleship a ministry of the word? Yes, it is. What does the word of God do? It equips us. It edifies us to work effectively. Look at the next gift. And we covered these in more detail on Thursday night, just moving through them again quickly. The prophetic to prophesy is to proclaim the word of God. There it is again, a gift of the word of God, a gift in the word of God, speaking forth God's word, prophecy. Evangelists, what does an evangelist do? They share the gospel, they preach the gospel. Again, the word of God being given. Pastor teachers, what do they do? They are to teach the word of God. These ministries equip and edify the church, build us up. Now, to the point, the church operates effectively when each uses their own gift. Your gift might not be one of these four. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But this is the truth, that some fancy themselves to be teachers when they are not. Some fancy themselves to be evangelists when they are not. I'm looking down at my notes on purpose, so you don't say I'm looking at you. <laughs> Many are disillusioned. Many are disillusioned. Some think they're apostles or prophets. When the eye knows that she's an eye and functions as an eye, that's when the body of Christ works effectively. And when the hand knows that he's a hand and works like a hand, that's when the body of Christ is working effectively. Yes, we will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible commands us to do that, but that doesn't mean that you're gifted to teach the Bible. Yes, when it comes to sharing the gospel, all of us should do that, but that does not mean that all of us are especially gifted as evangelists, does it? That's a, that's a gift. So it's kind of difficult, at least for me anyways, because we're supposed to be doing these things in general, right? We're supposed to be speaking forth the word of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're gifted to teach. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. That's your job if you're a Christian. But that doesn't mean that you're Greg Laurie or Billy Graham, does it? When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, please listen to him. Listen to the Holy Spirit 
and what he is saying to you. He will direct you. We are tempted to listen to our wants instead of the direction of the Spirit of God. That happens a lot in my life. I think it happens a lot in yours too. You're trying to separate your wants for yourself from the wants that God has for you. I hear people often say, well, I know this is my ministry because God put it on my heart. Okay, if, if God put it there, that's good. But if it's just on your heart, there are things that we desire, even good things that are not necessarily our gifts. It must be according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I submit to you the case of the Apostle Paul. Who did he have a heart for? Which people? The Jews. The Jews. He said he would give his soul, not just his life, his soul to see them saved. And Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So it's all about understanding God's heart for where he wants you in the body of Christ, not necessarily listening to your yearnings, because you can want something badly, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God has called you to do it. Listen to the leading of the Spirit of God. Also, listen to godly counsel regarding your gift or your gifts, because many times we have more than one gift that's given to us. Consider what leadership says. There's, it's not weird or controlling to listen to leaders in the body of Christ. They're called under-shepherds. They're called overseers. It would be weird to not consider what they might say to you. I see this thing now in the church where we're warning people about don't let your leaders control your life. I don't see that. If I'm controlling your life, I'm doing a bad job at it, right? But listen and say, God put these people in my life and I chose to be a part of this body. What are they saying to me? Is that what the Spirit is also telling me as far as where the Lord would use me and what my gift is? Listen to that godly counsel. I also point this out to you. Keep in mind that some will push you in a certain direction because they want to encourage you. But is that gift what God has for you? What I'm saying is sometimes in the body of Christ, there is unintentional flattery. And Christians can be on a wild goose chase for years because somebody wants to make you feel good about what you're doing. And they say, I think you should do this. And really, you stink at it. And really you should, I shouldn't look up. Really you stink at it. You shouldn't be doing it. They're encouraging you. They're, they're desiring to, they're, they like seeing you move forward and step forward. And they say, wow, that was awesome. And it really wasn't. So make sure that it's godly counsel, not just wishful thinking or somebody that wants to encourage you. Is it encouragement in the right direction, in the area that God has gifted you in? But, but somebody told me I was gifted to be a music minister. Yeah, that was your mom. And she's tone deaf, you know. Somebody, they told me I was a Bible teacher. Well, let me guess. They were also a self-proclaimed prophet. Right? Don't listen to everything that everybody says. There's misdirection. That's why we have the Holy Spirit affirming or not, I'm not affirming what we're doing. It's important to listen to one another. We're the body. We're working together. Some think that they're teachers and they can't hold a person's attention in a conversation for five minutes. And they express, if I only had a microphone. 
If I only had a captive audience, it would make all the difference in the world. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. I just got done watching a series by Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala's, I don't know how old he is, got to be in his 70s. Definitely not cool according to the world. Definitely, he, he was sitting down the whole time he was teaching, just like, and we showed some of his teaching to the, to the teenagers and the young adults. It was just awesome. That guy can teach. It was so apparent. You're just sitting there going, the whole time he's talking, what's he going to say? I'm one, <laughs> Lord, just exceptionally gifted to teach. I bring this up because if you go back to verse seven in this very book, uh, chapter four still, it says, according to the measure. This is difficult for us too, because we can be gifted to do something, but we don't necessarily have the same measure of that gifting as somebody else. So this is a common problem with pastors. Pastors in their foolery think, well, he's a pastor and so am I. So everything he's gifted to do in teaching the word of God, I'm also gifted to do. See, the issue is, is he's way better than you and he has been given a greater measure of that gift than you have. But that's true for every single gift, isn't it? It's not as though God measures them out in the same amount. You might be gifted in a certain area, but it's not as great a measure as the next person. And who are we in the flesh? We're comparative, and we don't like that. Back to teaching again, God may have gifted you to teach a certain group of people. Maybe it's a Sunday school class. Maybe it's a small group, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's called you to teach the body of Christ at large. You see, there's a measure of that gifting, and it's good for us to realize that. Because oftentimes, people think, I'm just undiscovered talent. I, I'm, I'm really good, I've just got to convince people around me that I'm as good. And actually, no, you're right where God wants you. And I believe in the world, they call it the Peter principle, where you, you continue to rise because of your talents, and you know where you stop? at the place where you're no longer effective because you get a promotion to that, so to speak, next location, next spot, and guess what? The last one was where you were the best, right? You see it with Heisman Trophy winners in football. Yeah, you were a great college football player, but a lot of them are never very good NFL players. Just stay where God wants you to be. Pay attention to the measure of the gift and what God has gifted you to do. These ministries of the word listed in verse 11 there, I want you to realize that they come with elevated responsibility and judgment by God. Isn't that true? Anyone who imparts the word of God has an elevated responsibility before the Lord to accurately speak the word of God. This is in the book of James, if you want to study it. The Bible clearly says that not many of you should desire to be teachers. The Bible said that because God knows that many would desire to be teachers. Because with the place of teacher, with the place of the person who is to impart the word of God, there comes a stricter judgment. And that's not just a judgment of motive, although it is. It's actually a judgment of the words that come out of that person's mouth. People say, well, you know what I meant. I think I do, but that's not what you said. Therefore, the teacher is to study, to show themselves approved unto God, 
a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Have you heard this idea that we should all just sit in a circle and kick around ideas about the Bible? Have you heard that? Everyone is teaching, yet no one has studied in depth to show themselves approved. That is shameful. If one among them is a teacher, let that teacher put in the work so they need not to be ashamed. Don't turn the church into a therapy session. That's not God's design. That lines many people up for a stricter judgment. People say, well, that's not teaching. Yes, it is. You're imparting the word of God. You have that captive audience. Let's make sure that what we're saying not only is accurate, but that we're actually gifted to do that. Now, I realize that when it comes to teaching, a lot of times there are very certain persuasions, and this is why. For me to be a pastor teacher, I needed to leave my career to do this. So I needed to be really, really certain. People say, well, you're pretty certain that God is where he has called you to be, where he's gifted you to be. That's because, in part, because I had to say, okay, imagine if to operate your gift, you needed to stop doing what earned you a living, what you went to college for, what you had put decades into, and say, I have got to be that certain that I'm called to do this. That's kind of scary, isn't it? So when it comes to pastor teachers many times, evangelists, those who are sometimes in full-time ministry, there is going to be a certainty there that God has gifted them to do that because they've already sorted through all of it. And believe me, it took me years. I was like, no, no, I will not be employed by the church. I will not. God's saying, but you're the guy for the job. No, no, I'm not, right? And God, God will make it apparent to you. But that calling that gifting, we operate effectively when we use the gifts, the gift that God has called us to do, and when we have the right mind about that. Do what God has gifted you to do by his grace. We covered that in the last session. It came to you by grace. Administer that gift by grace. Then the church functions effectively. It isn't striving anymore. It's the spirit-powered, spirit-directed church edified, church equipped. That, that's what we're looking for. The measure of the gift. Lord, this is what you've given to me. I want to use it. Help me not to be disillusioned about what you've gifted me to do and haven't gifted me to do. I'll read again 13 and 14 because it brings us to our next point. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Boy, that's a mouthful. You're, are you reading the Bible sometimes and thinking, where's the sentence end? I, I, if, if you're an English major English person, you're like, I don't think this is grammatically correct. How am I going to unpack all this? <laughs> Point number two, the church works effectively with mature members. Did you see that? It functions well when we act in maturity, when we are grown up in the Lord, stable, able to weather the winds that come, that might seek to toss us to and fro. I ask you this, do you want to be mature 
in Christ? Do you, do you want to be grown up in God? Do you want to be solid? Or is there this draw to immaturity? I, I know about this draw to immaturity. Immaturity is kind of fun. It, it's not much responsibility. It's kind of funny. As a school t- teacher, I would use a disciplinary tactic. And this is with teenagers. And there was a certain group of students, usually girls. If I said to a young lady, I'm disappointed. I really thought you were more mature than that. Usually, it would get to her. And she would be bothered that she wasn't mature. And she's like, it was, I, really, I really thought you were more mature than that. And it would really get to her. Then there was another group of individuals, usually boys. <laughs> and I would say, that was really immature. And they'd be like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, it was their badge. Like, they were trying to be immature. Like, that was their whole goal. And so if I played the maturity card on them, it was like, oh, thanks for noticing that I am a total goof off. Uh, you told them, like, you're acting like a third grader. I know. I've been doing this since the third grade. It's the greatest. You know those kind of people. Now, I understand personality-wise, some of you, some of us are having trouble growing up. There's just part of it that's just too funny for us. But this isn't that kind of maturity. This is spiritual maturity. This is becoming more like Jesus. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't want to stay a baby because that means you want to stay like the old self instead of become like the new self. So when we say the church works effectively with mature members, really the question to start is, do I want to be mature in the Lord? Or do I see that as some sort of stodgy thing for old people? That was a struggle for me for a long time. I thought, well, let the old people be mature in the Lord. It's my chance. It's my opportunity to be immature in the Lord. No, grow up. It doesn't mean you can't have fun anymore, but be solid so that you're not tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. Look at what's described here in verses 13 and 14. Isn't it immaturity? These are some undesirable traits of children. Look, they're gullible. They're foolish, fickle, back and forth. I think this thing one day, this thing the next day, this idea comes along and I'm blown this way. And then I'm blown back this way again. This trend comes out and all of a sudden I'm starting to believe that and think that's the right way. And doesn't it say here that there will be intentional trickery? Yes, it does. And the immature are drawn to that seemingly sensational instead of the scripturally solid. You'll see believers. And if it's seemingly sensational, it has the wow factor. They're like, whoa, you give them the solid teaching of the word of God, the meat, and they're like, eh. They, they're desiring to stay immature. Pay attention and see that there is a craftiness. Isn't that what the word says? That there are those who are cunning and they have a calculated agenda. This passage even says that they're plotting. So that means that there are deceivers and maybe they themselves are also deceived and they're plotting to take advantage of our immaturity so that we're not solid in God. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. Our eyes often are on Jesus. They're on other people and we're being tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. 
This idea comes. I'm so old now that the doctrines are coming back around again with new names. And I'm like, that's the same wind that blew 12 years ago or 15 years ago or 30 years ago. And you go, this is not solid in the scriptures. Let us not be, because the church works effectively when we're mature in Christ. If a body has too many babies in it, you, it starts to suffer, right? There's not enough people there balancing out that maturity. And we need to grow up in the Lord and desire that. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be mature. This passage calls it the perfect man or the perfect person. It doesn't mean that we're going to stop sinning. It just means we're going to sin less and be more like Jesus, walk closer to him. That's what we want. The immature almost never have their guard up. Do you see that? They're not expecting to be taken advantage of or led astray. Everyone who says they're good must be good. Everyone who says glory to God or praise to God, they must mean it. The immature lack discernment. Therefore, they lap up almost anything. And this is where it really gets good or bad, I should say. The immature consider themselves to be mature. You ever had a kid like that? Consider themselves to be mature So they're gullible, but they think they're grounded. So do you see how this is a setup for instability? So let us be discerning. That doesn't mean that we need to be accusatory. Let us be watchful. That doesn't mean that we should be judgmental. You know what I mean. You can be wary, but it doesn't mean you've already made your mind up. You're just careful, right? You want to make sure that What you're hearing, what you're taking in is solid because your growth in the Lord is very fastened to the body of Christ. We like to think of ourselves as being purely independent. Yes, each of us are saved independently, but our growth has a lot to do with the body of Christ. That's what this passage is teaching, right? How can we be mature in the Lord without that body around us? The Bible says this is the tool, this is the way One of the ways I want to bring you to maturity. Tethered to that truth, solid in the scriptures. That was point number two. The body works effectively with mature members. So just by a raise of hands so we know, how many of you are mature? (laughs) I I knew there would be one person that would see the humor. Were you the guy who said, laugh about the immaturity? Yeah, yeah, I knew it, chant. (laughs) I, I, even though I didn't go to third grade, I was actually Doug and I, same elementary school. Some of you, I can just picture you in the third grade. It was probably funny. Next, the body works effectively in unity. And we covered unity uh, previously, but, but here it is again in this section, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Maturity definitely matters. But then that working together huge component in effectiveness. Verse 12 says, saints, that's the church, the body of Christ. Also in that verse, that's the church. Have you ever known a mature Christian who is not operating their gift in a way that's connected to the church? Have you ever known a mature Christian who's not operating their gift in a way that's connected to the church? I haven't. Now, I've, I've seen self-promoters, smooth talkers, But a solid saint isn't like a preferential island, a person that participates on a uh, conditional basis. Being a part 
of the church matures us. That's what the Bible is saying. We need that for our maturity. The friction, isn't there a lot of friction in the body of Christ? That friction rounds off our edges. That interaction, that working together keeps us from being extensively prickly. Can you imagine how prickly I would be if I wasn't a part of the church? I would be terrible, just jerk upon jerk. But Lord, I need to be a part. And you're taking those prickles off. How about a joint? Because in this passage, it's likened to joints. How about a joint that you don't use for a while? Have you ever been in a cast or in a brace and there's a joint and it's bound for a while? And before it was put in that cast or that brace, it worked quite well. But then you need to keep it still because of a fracture, break, whatever. And, and you get it out and you're just like, man, I can hardly straighten my leg. I can't even move my ankle. Because it hasn't been operated. That joint hasn't been working, right? And then you get back in there again and God rehabs you and you're like, now I'm working smooth again. So it is with the body of Christ. We're glitchy without each other. And it is easy to be separated because it, it hurts to move, it hurts to exercise, it hurts to do something. But in the long run, it's for our maturity, it's for our strengthening, it's for our equipping. Unity in the body of Christ to work effectively. I look at verse 16. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Isn't that a description right there of unity, harmony, harmony, cooperation? It strikes me that some people that talk a lot about unity are actually inconsistent in their gathering with the church. That they're here, there, and everywhere, but rarely connected in a meaningful way. So we're to be like joints in the body. Imagine if what it would be like if you didn't know if your foot was going to show up today. <laughs> that is not an unbiblical analogy. You just weren't sure if you were going to have a certain body part, a certain member available for function, it would drastically affect the way that you live your life. And so unity is about operating, not just about the big warm and fuzzies. I'm, I want to be in there. I don't want to be floating. Maybe I'll skip this one since we're short on time and it's difficult. It's number four. It is the body works effectively in love. That's the, we'll go to the next one. No? Okay. Okay. This, look at 15, but speaking the truth in love. Look at 16, for the edifying of itself in love. This might be the hardest pill to swallow. Of course I love people. Don't even insinuate that I don't love people. Love is lowly and doesn't have to prove itself. Love is patience. Isn't that true? And people can be frustrating at times. I look at 15 and the body operating effectively in love. Speaking the truth, and we're called to do so, can be like a slap in the face. And it's true that I would have spoken the truth, 
but it's not to be my desire or your desire to speak truth in a manner that's like a slap in the face. We might say, blessed are the wounds of a friend, and we even break out the scriptures, right? Deceitful are the kisses of, of an enemy. I'm the friend that wounded them, and they just couldn't take it. But the question for us is that, are we speaking the truth in love, or are we speaking the truth out of spite or out of frustration? And even if you speak the truth in love and you act in love, it's not always received. But if you're having difficulty with people receiving the truth that's coming from you, step back and look at the scriptures and say, am I delivering this truth in love? Do they know where I'm coming from? Do they see my care for them? This is why the Bible is so particular about seeing somebody's face and, and meeting with them, coming to them and speaking to them because your love comes across, your care comes across in a way that it won't on FaceTime or Facebook or whatever you're going to do. It's just not going to be the same. Speak that truth. Don't shirk from it, but speak it in love. That's when the church operates effectively. When we speak the truth, but it's not in love, we don't have that lubrication anymore, and it's just, the church just starts to break down. So if you know you are a very straightforward person, to put it lightly, let the Lord season your speech with his grace. Because maybe he's given you the ability to state the truth in a very forthright manner. But it must also be done in love. Not apologetically, not saying things that you don't mean, but presented in love. That's when the church works the way that it should. I want to be able to get away with, so to speak, saying things that are very difficult because it's in love. Because that's what the Bible says we should be for each other. I don't want you to be easily offended. I don't want to be easily offended. And if it's done in love, because we know that there's this sacrificial care that's there and it's not just something that we're spewing off, that's when the church works effectively. We're talking about gifts, and so I've got to read it. It's just such a powerful passage. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 1. And this is talking about the gifts, and it's talking about love. And you could be a person with a lot of awesome gifts, gifts of the Spirit. But if we don't have love, they're useless. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So we couldn't skip this point. Even if you are a martyr, isn't that what the Bible was getting to? If you don't have love, it's all for naught. Maybe you're extremely philanthropic. You give to the needy. Do I have love? Maybe you are an incredibly gifted person. If you don't have love, it's not going to do any good. I don't want to be that person 
you don't want to be that person. Where they say, yeah, they're, they're gifted by God, but can they love? That's the question, isn't it? So often we highly esteem the gifts, and we say, wow, I'm so ministered to when, when that person does what they're supposed to do by the, the Lord. But really, love is the clincher. At the very end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, but the greatest of these is love. Like, if, if we're not in there loving, then the gift is going to fall flat. Be lowly despite the lofty gifts. The gifts are incredible. They're the gifts of the Spirit. And as we learn that they're imparted to us and that God has given us this amazing grace, we start to focus on the gifts and we say, wow, look at what I've got. I've got this gift from the Spirit. Everyone just stand back and be thankful and appreciative that I'm operating my gift. Here I am to bless you. (laughs) With my gift, I grace you. And there's this attitude that can come out, and it's not love. And it's that my gift is now here to to be enjoyed and, and appreciated by so many people. That's not the lowly, loving, patient attitude. I keep wanting to look at Jesus. Talk about gifts. (laughs) He's got all of them in complete measure. He is the gift. And oftentimes not so well received, but his love, the love of Jesus just lubricated all of that. How wonderful our Lord is. 15, the middle of 15 says, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Point number five, the church works effectively connected to the head. Ooh, we can't leave this one out either. Because we can be united but if we're not connected to Christ, it's all for naught. So let's put it this way. We could be a well-oiled machine. And there are ministries, organizations, and even businesses like this. And believe me, they're efficient. And they get a lot done. But if we're not connected to the head, then it's all for naught. Just like an effective organization, a, a business. It can be run very efficiently but not necessarily have Christ in the lead. Let it not be so in the church. It's not all about efficiency. It's about effectiveness for the sake of the good pleasure of God. And I really struggle with this. I tend to like efficiency. But how efficient is the body going to be when you are there? You're doing the work with those who are new in Christ. They're babies. And you could say, hey, I don't have time for you. You're a baby, right? That's not efficient. You don't, your skills aren't perfect, so come back when they're good. Come back when you're a journeyman. No, it's, it's the effective working of the ministry, which means it's, that person is growing up in God and their patience. That is effectiveness, not always efficiency. Must stay connected to Jesus. He's the head of the body. We're his. Your brain sends signals to so many different parts of your body. It's a control center. If that isn't happening, if one of your body parts isn't receiving signals from the brain, then there are major malfunctions. So it is in the church, connected to Christ. He's the head. He's the brains of the operation, connected to him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning 
the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So it's back to Jesus over and over again. His heart, his desires, his touch, his tact, his boldness, his truth, his love. Now, some would take this to mean that no other part of the body can lead since none of us are the head. Christ is the head. But your eyes lead the way sometimes when they receive signals from the brain, right? And your feet lead the way sometimes when they receive those signals. Jesus is the head in the sense of direction. He's also the head in the sense of authority. Notice what the cross reference from Colossians said. He has preeminence. He is above all. He is in power, in control. We're under his headship. How do we know where his headship is leading us? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We go back to the Bible so that God can teach us Lord, this is where your mind is illustrated, where your heart is shown. We should constantly be changing to be more like what the Bible says the church should be instead of the models of men, right? The seeker model or the emergent model or the PC model, whatever. We're not looking for the latest and the greatest because the greatest isn't the latest. The greatest is everlasting, tried and true. And that is Jesus the Christ. So we have, number one, the right gift. Number two, the maturity, number three, the unity, number four, the love, number five, being connected to Christ the head. I ask you, how can we not care about the body of Christ? You know, when the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, that's not just terminology, that's the truth. Sometimes we think it's just an analogy. Well, it does help us understand the way we're supposed to operate, but we are Jesus's body and his body was broken for you. His body was beaten for you. So then for us as Christians to say, well, I, I, I care about Jesus, but I don't care about his body. Do you see that that isn't consistent? That's impossible. We can't say that we love God well, we can say it, but we can't really love God and hate our brother. That's what the Bible says. We're a liar if we, if we say that we, we love God and we hate our brother. You can't believe in him and deny his body. On our own, we will not be united in love, intent on one purpose. The Lord knows that we're easily led astray. But what's more precious than the body of Jesus? to think about the nails through his hands and through his feet, to think about how he was bludgeoned, how he was beaten beyond recognition. How precious is the body of Jesus? As a Christian, you've chosen to put your faith in him because he took your sin and he gave you everlasting life. So you and I know that we can't disregard the body of Christ. And we can't separate and say, oh, that's the church. It's really not the body. No, it is. And when we love Jesus, we love each other. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Well, Lord, you know I love you. <laughs> Do you love me? He keeps reminding us, you can't say that you are mine and I am yours. And, and then say, oh, I'm not going to love people. It's not congruent. Now, I... 
that's a difficult truth to deal with because there are so many that are like, yes to God, no to the church. That doesn't make any scriptural sense. That's saying yes to Jesus, but no to his body. He's sharing his heart right here. This is what he has for us. So we have the reminder. I have the need for the reminder. Let us work effectively for his good pleasure. This is what delights the Lord. And this is the way it works. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You have seen it. You operate your gift. You serve. You open up yourself to be served. And you grow. If you're stalled out in your growth, is it because you're not letting the body be a part of your growth? Is it because you've been reserving your gifts? Don't be a stingy, stinger, right? Let it flow through you, God-given by his grace to bless you and to bless others. Here we are at the cross again, because that's where your body hung, suffering for our sins, Lord. Here we are thinking the way that we should and in our right minds, uh, surrendered. Lord, that's where you paid, and so that's where we want to stay, Lord. We know that you have defeated death, that you are risen, and we want to live in that life, but we want to remember what your body endured and Lord, may we never stop understanding, Lord, that sin, it breaks your heart, Lord. It's, it's not your desire that your people would live in waywardness or selfishness. Pull us in, Lord, to, to be just who you want us to be. That's the place that we want to be in.